Christmas uncluttered is what we're going for this holiday season. Uh, we've been trying to minimize the festive stress, as the experts uh, call it. But there may be a few of us who have just taken it just a little too far. Uh, just this week, and I've got to be careful to protect the innocent, well, maybe the not-so-innocent, I was out to lunch with a husband, and he was rushing off on his way to get his Christmas gifts that he hadn't uh, gotten yet. And, uh, you know, no elbowing right now, but, uh, you know, we are to the end. And yes, you need to unclutter, but yes, at the same time, you do need to engage and, and do the things that you need to do. So just uh, we're down to the down to the... Just the little, the wire, if you will. And I don't know if you know this, but yesterday was uh, called uh, Panic Saturday. And uh, it is just a scary thing. It's now a race to the finish line. I still have to buy presents for my wife. I still have to buy presents for my wife. I still have to buy presents for my wife. Getting gifts delivered by Christmas Eve could cost 10 times or more as much as the item itself. It's why 134 million Americans are expected to hit the malls this weekend. Many major retailers planning extended hours. And if you want an adventure, then it's called Panic Saturday. And just who are those procrastinators? Men are flocking in droves right now, uh, heading to stores, putting in last minute online orders if they can, all to make sure they're ready for the big day. We just We're just had, starting, this we is just, number one. Yeah. I still have to buy presents for my wife. I still have to buy presents for my wife. That poor guy on the evening news, and I've been watching to make sure no one gets up and runs out right now to head to the mall, but you know, it's, it's basically too late. I'm sorry, you know, an hour is not gonna save you. But uh, you know, all through our series, uh, we've been talking about uncluttering Christmas and really uncluttering life. And if you're just trying to put it together at uh, this point of uh, time, it's really not about uncluttering Christmas, but it's more about looking into the new year and uncluttering 2019. Our kind of overall theme has been give more presence instead of presence. And the idea of that is to be present, to be engaged with those around you, with God, and uh, not just to get caught up with the presence, the stuff, all those kinds of things. And really, it's just not something that we have to face in the season of Christmas, but it's really something all year long. We really need to figure out how to give more presence throughout the year, not just presence in the sense of stuff and things like that. And if you're just uh, joining us, you can uh, catch up with some of the past series online. They're available in, another, in a number of formats. You also can stop by guest services and pick up a CD if that's uh, the way you like to go. So again, this whole idea of giving more presence instead of presence. And it's interesting that this is really what got Jesus and Mary through that first Christmas. Our theme verse as we've walked through this has been, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We just a few moments ago sang about Emmanuel and this idea that God is with us. Things change when God is with us. And if we can engage and embrace his presence, it can transform life. It can start to change the rhythm of the way we live what we value, how we interact. So this whole idea of God being with us, that is the celebration of Christmas. That is the big deal, that God can be with us all. 
So far, we've uh, talked about being present to God in our week one and week two. Uh, we've also looked at the idea of being present to others. We discussed that. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at being present to yourself and what that really means. And then tomorrow night at our Christmas Eve service, very briefly, we'll look at the idea of being present to the moment. So anyway, so as we start to unpack this, and again, we're trying to unclutter Christmas, but really we're trying to unclutter life, uh, we need to start with this idea of being present to yourself. Now, I want you not to confuse this. Uh, sometimes I think of being present to yourself as this. Don't confuse being present to yourself with presence for yourself. And uh, sometimes uh, we look at things, we're a little jaded with the way we, we interact with our world. Uh, we can manipulate things, we can play games with things. Uh, there's been times where uh, I've given my wife the upgrade as a present to her, but really it was a present to me because then I, I could get another upgrade. So, you know, so you know how this works. We have to be very wise about this, this idea of being present to yourself. It's not, a, it's a, not awareness of being selfish, about being self-centered, but it's being aware of who you are. And we're going to say that uh, you need to be present to God to really be present to yourself. I don't know which comes first. I kind of think it comes simultaneously. But if you're going to be present to yourself, you ought to be present to God because it, it, it shapes your thinking, your interaction. Now, this morning, if you just got uh, dragged here for uh, the promise of a good dinner after church today, uh, you know, I, I understand that. But uh, just realizing this idea of this God, the possibility of him, the possibility that he really does love you, that he really does exist, that he's a personal God, is so significant. So if we're going to be present to ourselves, we, in a sense, have got to come to terms with that idea that maybe there is a God, maybe we can relate to him, maybe he wants to relate to us. And once we kind of start navigating, walking through that, wading into those waters, we find that we can be, in a sense, accurately present to ourselves. We read in Psalm 139, uh, written by King David a thousand years ago or so, uh, look deep into my heart. God, and find out everything I'm thinking. You see, there's times where I need God to look deep into my heart, not just make a surface pass. I need to see really what's going on in there. Because my heart, I'm sure not any of your hearts, it can be kind of a little uh, delusional in there. i kind of moving in this direction, but there's really this other motive. So I want God to look deep into my heart, to, to figure out what's going on, to, to find out everything I'm thinking so that I really can be present to myself. I want to be present to myself through the filter of God working in my life. Because when I'm present to myself without that, I can go in all kinds of different directions. And that's just not for the person that, let's say, is unconvinced that there's a God that could be involved in your life, but it's very true for those of us that are convinced. Uh, sometimes we go in directions, probably could share a story, of when you went in a direction, but you really didn't ask God to look deep into what you were doing, to find out why you were thinking those things, and you end up in a place that you really didn't want to, but you kind of said, well, I was kind of doing the right thing, but you didn't 
weren't really present to yourself. You really weren't present to God. Now, David's son, Solomon, the next king uh, after David, uh, wrote this. And we're going to actually be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes in the month of, end of month of January. We'll do a series on that. But, but just to get us uh, thinking about this a little bit, this is what uh, Solomon writes. Wisest man, unlimited riches. He, he writes this. He says, God has also set eternity in the human heart. And what he really means by that is there must be more to this life. If you've ever dabbled around the book of Ecclesiastes and written, read some of the things that Solomon writes, you know, there's moments where he, ha he has everything at his disposal, but it, it, it doesn't connect to him, so it doesn't, in a sense, satisfy him because there's, there's something more. And all of us, all of us, whether we're unconvinced or convinced, have got to admit there are times where we say, isn't there more to this life? Isn't there something more? You see, that's, that's eternity in the human heart. We're all wired with that. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the person who wrote uh, the Narnical Chronicles, uh, Narnia Chronicles, he, he writes this. He says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world, something more. And uh, C.S. Lewis wasn't, wasn't a Christ follower from day one. He, he wrestled with this whole thing. He wrestled with, is there a personal God? He wrestled with all these kinds of things. And then somewhere as he, he came alive to that, that possibility, that reality, he realizes that the reason nothing in this world satisfies is eternity has been set in my heart and there must be more. And that began him on the road of discovering who Christ could be in his life. And so we're all, we all start, in a sense, at that place. We have to be at that place where we discover who we really are. And sometimes we think we're something else. Uh, we have to come to terms with that. We have to be honest with ourselves. And uh, one guy who really needed to discover that, really needed to figure that out, was this guy. You may recognize him. One Christmas Eve, Santa Claus got an unexpected gift of his own. What in the name of Sam Hill? Thirty years later... Let's recite the code of the elves, shall we? Treat every day like Christmas. Number two. There's room for everyone on the nice list. Number three. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing. Now, he's taking a journey to find the family he's never known. And nothing's going to stop him. Sorry, your car's pretty. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? <laughs> Fruit spray? Sure. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Santa here? I know him. I know him. I'm in a store and I'm singing. Hey! 
There's no singing in the North Pole. Yes, there is. No, it's not. We sing all the time. No, it's not. The rest of the movie goes along with Elf trying to figure out who he is, how to be present to who he is, and how to interact with the world that he lives in. Now, I'm not much of an Elf fan. I'm more of like a die-hard Christmas kind of movie fan. But, but there is this one scene. I just have to show you. You have to indulge me on this. There is one scene I really love from the Elf. So I just, I just have to show it. Just take work with me. Yeah. Ow! Son of a nutcracker! Run! Those are bad news. We better get out of here. You know what? We can take them. Okay. We'll start making as many snowballs as we can. You ready? Let's go. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know how that happened, but uh, anyway, that's my favorite scene from the movie. <laughs> but Elf has to really discover who he is. He needs to discover, be present to himself, understand why he interacts with the world around him, why he does it, where that needs to be adjusted, where that needs to be changed, so that his life, in a sense, uh, becomes uncluttered. And the same is true with us. If you really watch that movie and you watch him navigate, it's funny, it's all that kind of thing. But if you really, you really watch it, you see that there's some truth in that. We've been all in the places that Elf finds himself in. He, he doesn't really know who he is. He doesn't know how to express himself. He doesn't feel like he belongs. And it's hard going for him. He's misunderstood. And he really has to discover that. And so likewise, if you and I are really going to unclutter our lives, we need to know who we are. We need to be present in our lives. Uh, we can't, in a sense, uh, turn up the music of life, turn up the activity of life to such a degree that we don't check in with what's going on in our hearts. And sometimes we're trying to be present with God halfway, and he is present. And he speaks into our hearts, and he leads us, and he prompts us, and he directs us. Maybe even directs you and leads you to think, man, in this moment I'm thinking maybe there is a God. And, and, and then all of a sudden, in a sense, we, we, we push that out. For those of us who consider ourselves Christ followers, we really need to come to the ter terms with the reality that this world 
this, this chapter in life is not our ultimate home. And often we, we live like it is. Uh, this is a tension. Um, is this our home? Isn't this home? Well, is it our home for now? W what do we do with it? How do we invest in it? Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, wrote this. He says, friends, this world is not your home. So don't make yourself cozy in it. Don't indulge your ego at the expense of your soul. This isn't our home. Doesn't mean we don't enjoy it. Doesn't mean any of those things, but, it, but it's not our home. And some of us get so cozy in it that we indulge our ego. In other words, self-worth. Our self-worth is because we're cozy in all the good things of the world. And, and it's, again, it's, it's position, it might be relationships, it might be possessions, whatever it is, and we give it too much stock, too much relevance in our life. It doesn't mean it's not to have any relevance in our life. There, there's, the, there's this tension, and our value comes from that. And, and when our value comes from that, it, it, just, it just clutters life up. How many times have I bought something, done something, invested my time, my resources in an activity because my ego needs to in some way be filled, but it's at the expense of my soul. Not at the expense of my soul in the sense that my relationship with God is, is, is fractured, but the expense of my soul that, that I'm not in sync with him, that I'm not enjoying his presence. Because if God's presence in my life is going to determine my presence to others, my presence to myself, and the presence to the moments, I've got to be careful about, about indulging my self-worth at the expense of my soul. And, and, it, and it's such tension. Uh, we, we try to find... Uh, what not complements life, but what completes our life outside of the scope of this is not our home. There's another scene in Elf, and th there's this individual who um, is, is, is well, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just show it to you, and you'll see what happens. But as you're watching it, you're going to see that his self-worth uh, is, is suffering, so he quotes all the things he has as Elf tries to make sense of, of what's going on. Uh, Damn it! I'm in love! I'm in love! And I don't care who knows it! Buddy, uh, not now. Uh, can you please go back to the uh, to the pit? I'll come and visit you in a little while, okay? I didn't know you had elves working here. Oh. Boy, you're, you're hilarious, my friend. He doesn't... Uh, get, get back to the story, please. Uh, <clears throat> so, on the cover above the title... Does Santa know that you left the workshop? You know, we're all laughing our heads off. Did you have to borrow a reindeer to get down here? Buddy, go back to the basement. I've got houses in L.A., Paris, and Vail. Oh. Each one of them with a 70-inch plasma screen. 
So I suggest you wipe that stupid smile off your face before I come over there and smack it off. You feeling strong, my friend? Call me Elf one more time. He's an angry elf. <laughs> But the reality is all of us have areas where our stature is not where we want it to be. And because our stature, whatever it may be, is not what we want it to be, we fill things into our life, bring things into our life to increase our stature. Because somehow we think this world is our home. And rather than freeing us, it creates more and more clutter. As a Christ follower, as someone entertaining what it means to follow Christ, you have to ask yourself, do you live like this is your home? Do you really live this as your home? Are all your eggs, in a sense, in one basket? Is that where all your investments are? Is that where all your stuff is? Or, or, do, you, or do you understand this, this isn't your home, your ultimate home? You know, Cindy and I sometimes go back and forth whether we should downsize. The kids have moved out of the house. We could use a smaller house. So every time we think about that and then think about doing something to the house, we're like, do we do this? Because we understand that we may downsize. So we might stick that money into the house, and then we won't get it out when we change and sell and go to something smaller. We go back and forth because we, 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 we entertain that maybe this isn't our ultimate home. Maybe we won't be there 20-something years. Do we do that with all life, though? Do we look at our life and think, this is our ultimate home or this isn't our ultimate home? And, and those are hard questions. But when we start to answer those, when we start to live in the light of that reality, Life starts to get uncluttered. It starts to change. Another reality is this. We need to understand your ultimate happiness is not here. Your ultimate happiness is not here. This isn't the place for our ultimate happiness. It's not going to do it. You're always going to be out of phase a little bit. And can I be as forthright to say, if that isn't happening in your life, if you do feel your ultimate happiness is in the here and now and the way life is unfolding, something's misfiring, especially if you're a Christ follower doesn't mean that you're unhappy with life, but, it, but, it, but if all your happiness rises and falls here, uh, something's off. Paul writes, the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we will never settle for less. Got to ask you the question, have you settled for less? Have you settled for less? Have you, has, has God really whetted your appetite? 
Have you had a taste in a such a way that you know your ultimate happiness isn't here? Or are you completely satisfied? If you're a Christ follower and you're completely satisfied, you, you need to ask some hard questions. If you're not convinced, I would, I would say I would understand that, yeah, because, because you do need to make this life be where your happiness is found. You need to have this be your happy place. But if you're a Christ follower, God, the Spirit of God, when he enters your life, connects with your life, when you say yes to him, gives you a little taste of what's coming next. And it means that you never settle for anything less. When my buddy and I were down in Virginia going to college for a little while, we actually had a family that had lived in, in Massachusetts move down to the Lynchburg area. And so what was interesting is that we connected with them and they would have us over to eat every once in a while. And, uh, you know, they would, they would cook their meals and all that kind of a thing. And it was a home-cooked meal rather than being in a cafeteria. And, and it gave us a taste of home. It wasn't at Maud's house that we were being satisfied. It gave me a taste of home that said, I can't wait to go home and have my mom's cooking. It wet my appetite. It reminded me of what I was missing. Likewise, if you're a Christ follower and you're living in this reality of happiness is not here, it's not means that you're dissatisfied, but it does mean you don't settle for less here because you've had a taste of God in your life, the Spirit of God, and you know what's coming in the next chapter of life. So all of a sudden that changes what you collect, what you have in life. You start to unclutter, declutter, because your happiness is not based here, and you get that. I love when I sometimes meet someone who's a little bit older or has a little more experience than me, and I start to see the things that they value in life. Uh, it's whetted their appetite, what's coming. I tell you a lot about my friend Leon Meter, 101 years old, almost made it to 102. And I would hang out with Leon two or three times a year, go out to lunch or whatever, and, and I would try, and this was really hard for me, I would try to keep my mouth shut to see what a guy at 101 values. And I first couple times we went out, I tried to yank it out of him, and he wouldn't tell me. He, wasn't, he was not going to speak into my life. Who was he, he said. Well, you're Leon Meter, you're 101, you know, look, you know, da, 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 da. And what I did do is I started to listen to the stories that he told. And his stories told me what was important to him. And so as I listened to his stories, I'd say, that's a, a thread of importance. I need to hear that. I need to see how I can be just a little farther ahead in that and embrace that rather than happiness on, on all these other things. So our happiness is not ultimately here when we are present to ourselves because we discover Everything that gets placed in our hands has a shelf life. It doesn't satisfy us. Which then would be very sad if this third reality wasn't available to us. Your ultimate hope is not here. This is a very hopeless message if it is not for this point. Because we realize there's something more. 
And so we base the reality of our life on that hope. And it starts to drive us. And it starts to, in a sense, we have an anticipation. And it affects the clutter in our Christmas experience. But it affects the clutter in our life experience. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That's not a bad thing. We have a purpose. We're, we're engaged in that. But again, we're looking, my hope isn't just in this world. My hope is to be with the Lord. What makes heaven heaven is that God is there. Some of us have heard stories of streets of gold as it's described and all that. That's not what makes heaven heaven. It's that God's there and that you get there, and then there's going to be a new heavens, a new earth. But the idea is that you will be completely present to him. His presence is what makes heaven, heaven. And so we live in that hope. We live in that way. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That, that's driving. That, that, that's our hope. It's not retirement. It's not whether the stock market goes up or down. Yes, that would be nice, wouldn't it, after this last week? But, but it, it's, that's not where our ultimate hope is. Our hope is somewhere else. And until you and I come to terms with that, until that's our reality, our operating system for life, we are going to find clutter everywhere. Because our decisions are made through a different matrix. We're making through a matrix that my hope is here, not there. And, and it, it just doesn't work. I'm sorry, I wish there was some other way, but, but where, where is your hope? Where, where are you looking for? What, what, are, you, what are you after? What, what, do, what do you see? There's a story about uh, a young Florence Chadwick back from 1952. And let me read it to you. She stepped into the waters of the Pacific Ocean off Catalina Island, determined to swim to the shore of the mainland California. She'd already been the first woman to swim the English Channel both ways. The weather was foggy and chilly. She could hardly see the boats accompanying her. Still, she swam for 15 hours. When she begged to be taken out of the water along the way, her mother in the boat alongside her told her she was close and that she could make it. Finally, out of physical and emotionally exhaustion, she stopped swimming and was pulled out. It wasn't until she was on the boat that she discovered the shore was less than a half a mile away. This is what she said. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. When you're out there and you can't see your goal, you lose all sense of progress and you give up. Where is your ultimate hope found? Where is it? What are you, what are you hoping for? Or have you let the clutter of life create a fog in your life? That, just, that just, it just interferes with, in a sense, the swim that you're taking, the race that you're taking. You see, we need to have that confidence. We need to have that hope. 
And then that starts to declutter our Christmas experience, our, our life experience. Jesus said these kinds of ideas this way. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where you want, where your treasure is, is the place you will want most to be and end up being there. Now, that's not to say that your heaven bound is based on your works or your actions. It's not to say that we earn our relationship with God. It's not to say we earn our way to God. Uh, Christ provided that when he died on the cross for us. Grace freely given to us. Cost him his life given to us. But there is this idea where my hope is is, 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 is what drives me. It's, it's where my treasure is. And if it's not the case, then we're looking for treasures everywhere else. And this just isn't true for the, again, for the unconvinced, but it's true for the convinced. We have hope, but it's not quite there. If we looked at the way we leverage our life, spend our life, spend our money, use our relationships, all that kind of thing, we, we might find that our, our treasure really isn't in heaven, in a sense. Where our hope really isn't there because we, we look at the way our life unfolds and it, it seems clear to maybe people outside around us that, wow, you're, you're putting all your eggs in that basket. You say it, but, it, but you're not really living it. And, it. and that's not to put us down, but it just means you're going to live a cluttered life. I'm going to live a cluttered life. You can't get out of it. There's no, there's no magic way to, 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 to have a hope that's something else and, and then not to live a cluttered life. It begins, though, with being present to God, being present to ourselves, and which is first, I don't know, but having that all work together. And when we're present to ourselves and we're present to God, all of this starts to, in a sense, get sorted out. There's a fancy word called sanctification, the idea of working out your salvation. It's not, it's not working for your salvation. It's integrating this new life in Christ, this, this life of following Christ into your life. And as we do that, we work out our salvation. We're, we're, we're integrating it into our life. And it's a process. It's not a, a switch you just throw. It's a process, and, and as we do that, we get clarity. Uh, for Elf, at the end of the movie, he figures out who he is. He's a human being that likes to live like an elf. He understands all that, and, and, that, and that takes over. Uh, we, we find him uh, married to, I forgot what her name was. Oh, no one knows, okay, good. I didn't, whatever her name is. And they have a little elf baby or a little baby, and, 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 they're, and they're happy. He's figured out who he is. And life is simpler, life is, is less cluttered because of that. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. So, so, so then what do you and I do? What do we do? It's Christmas Eve Eve. We want an uncluttered life. How, how, do we, how do we navigate that way? How, how do we move in that way? Well, we need to have an intention that determines our direction. Uh, we look in a certain way, and we start to live a certain way. And there's basically three options for us. So the first option is you can live like this is your home. 
You can just throw yourself into it, all the toys, all the stuff, all the wonder. It's great to be an American. The American dream is great. I'm going for that, and, and that's the direction of my life. And you can do that whether you're a Christ follower or not. We've all met people like that, and we've all been people like that from time to time. You can live like this is your home. But when you do that, life will be cluttered. It won't be as sweet. John writes, don't love the world's ways. Don't love the world's goods. Love of the world squeezes out love of for the Father. And you, you can't have both going on. It's going to be one or the other. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy the world. It doesn't mean you don't enjoy the things. But you, but you can't have such a passion for it that it squeezes out love for the Father. Goes on to say, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, wanting nothing to do with the Father, it just isolates you from Him. And if He needs to be present to unclutter our lives, living like this place is our home isn't going to get you there. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. They're living that way. Again, you don't earn your way to God, but in a sense, you're, you're, you're living your life for that future day when you'll be with him, when you'll be completely present to him. So you invest your life that way. You live your life that way. Now, there's another option. Uh, you can live like you're in a holy huddle. You can live like you're in a holy huddle. You can, you can just hunker around other like-minded people, other Christ followers, and just kind of ignore the world, just kind of be in your little club. Uh, it's interesting that uh, C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Chew on that for a little while. Sometimes we wrap up this, this spiritual, religious faith thing, and really it's a holy huddle. And... You know, that little adage that says, he's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. That's not true. Anyone, anyone who is heavenly-minded is earthly good. Absolutely. It can't be the other way. It can't be. Jesus was not that way. He was so heavenly-minded that he was earthly good because he wanted a place for you and me. So Paul, as he looks at his life, he goes, I entered their world, and I tried to experience things from their point of view. I became just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. This was his passion. This is what he was about. He wasn't living in a holy huddle. He was out there. He wasn't going to go down that direction. 
And he talks about, I did all this because of the message, the good news of Christ. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I wanted to be engaged in it. I wanted to be active in it. Last option. You can live as his star. Not in a self-promoting way, but you can live as his star. You remember the story after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Three, four, who knows? But anyway, Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Option number three is you can be a star. You can actually live in such a way that you shine and others see you, see him in you, and they ascribe worth, worship, to Christ. We can live as his star when we are present to ourselves. Philippians, we read, go out into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living God. Carry the light-giving message into the night. Bottom line, present to yourself releases you to be present. Present to yourself releases you to be present. Present to God, present to others, and as we'll see tomorrow night, present to the moments of life. Please pray with me. Father, we are celebrating your son being born in that little manger, him giving himself for us, him being present to us so we could be in your presence. Father, help us not to miss that. Lord, if you are tugging on any of our hearts, whether from the perspective of trying to figure out if I'm being convinced to follow Christ or whether I've already made that decision and I'm trying to figure out how much to be all in. Lord, help us to take those next steps. Father, even now, if there's someone here who needs to say in their heart as they're, they're talking to you, Lord, I want you in my life. I want to say yes to Jesus. I, I believe you gave your life for me. You forgave me so I could have a relationship with God. I pray that even in this moment they would say yes to you it would be real, and they would start following you, and they would be present to you, present to themselves, and discover how they can be present to others and present to the moment in such a way that their lives are uncluttered. For those of us who have already said yes, may we be willing to live uncluttered lives. May we realize that this world isn't our ultimate home happiness, and hope. We pray all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.